This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let me welcome to the show. She's been here before. She actually, this is her area. She teaches at the Great Morgan State University, which seems to be our resident All HBCU. All the black genius is Everybody, coming out of Morgan Dr. Jason right now. Dr. Jason Johnson, <laughs> Sylvia with there, Alan and Tiffany. Let me welcome to the show Dr. Stacy Patton. Hello. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back in. Now, I know you heard our discussion. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's your take on this Benjamin Button haircut? Well, I've written about this uh, uh, situation before. There was another uh, barber shop maybe about a year or so ago that did the exact same thing. And this haircut, um, which uh, uh, adultifies black boys in a really weird way and even dangerous way, given that uh, they are living in a a society that uh, sees them as grown men who are uh, threats that can only be stopped with lethal force. Uh, this this haircut is really problematic, but it exists in a larger ecosystem of shaming black children. Mm. It's part of these, this trend uh, of using social media, picking up cell phones, and record parents recording themselves either cutting off children's eyebrows, their hair, wow. or whipping them. Um, with belts and switches and extension cords, and then uploading it to social media sites like Facebook, like YouTube. There's a whole genre of this on YouTube. You can go, you can put in um, uh, boy or girl gets a whooping for bad grades, for lying, for having sex in the house, for disrespect. There's a whole genre, and it's predominantly um, black folks who are doing mm. this uh, to their kids. And so they share these things to get parental validation for performance to say, look, you know, we're raising our kids. Uh, We don't let our kids run wild. And then you watch the comments and people laugh at these children. They share their own testimonials. Well, yep, this is what happened to me. And there's this sort of collective therapy uh, that's allowed to happen, but it sends a very dangerous message that black children's body, their bodily integrity, their minds, their hearts, their Mm. spirits are fair game for everybody to make fun of and disrespect. Mm. So I was telling Larie during the, the break that I was resistant to your message of no spanking because, you know, maybe spanking doesn't work for everyone, but I believe that some people needed their asses whooped from time to time. And you came and completely changed my mind on this. So for people who didn't hear you the first time, can you just give a elevator pitch for why we should not spank our children? Well, I wrote two years ago um, a book called Spare the Kids, why whooping children won't save black America. And I really wanted to understand why so many black people believe that uh, uh, violence, putting hands on children, no matter what we call it, whether it's spanking, popping, whooping, beating, or whatever, it's all violence and it all involves pain, why we believe that this is necessary for us to do. So as a trained historian, I decided to go back into history to see where this behavior came from. To answer the question, I discovered that we don't begin in this country, in within black culture. We don't begin on slave plantations. We don't even begin in West Africa. We have to go back thousands of years of European history in European societies where this kind of coercive parenting practice first emerged. It is not native to West African cultures. It's not mm. native to indigenous cultures. 
pre-colonial, meaning before contact with white folks. White missionaries were dumbfounded when they would go to these different places and write about them in their missionary accounts and say, these people don't put their hands on their kids. They let their children run wild. Mm. So they use that to graft into their racial ideologies about our inferiority and lack of civility. So, um, you know, it is a byproduct. Whooping your children is a byproduct of colonialism, of slavery, indoctrination mm. into Western Christianity. It is a symptom of internalized racism. It is, quite mm. frankly, the whitest thing you can do to destroy Ooh, a black child. Yes, she said that. Now, it's funny, so Dr. I, Patton. I looked at all that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I just, not to cut you off, but as I, as you were talking, I was looking up some, some statistics on views about spanking by race, and, I, and I'm sure you address mm -hmm. this, uh, you can address this far more eloquently than I, but it's very much more acceptable in born-again Christian households. Mm -hmm. African Americans tend to agree with spanking being an acceptable form of punishment to a greater extent than do uh, white Americans. It's very prevalent in the South. All of these demographic characteristics that tend to support what it is that you're saying that's really powerful for me mm -hmm. and the thing is is that this is an issue that stretches across race class and ethnicity uh, it's not a black thing this mm. behavior is not native to us the majority of captives who ended up on plantations um, were actually young people uh, these they weren't bringing old people over here to that's work right. plantations. <laughs> that's right um, and so a lot of black people will argue that you know, we bought whooping kids over from Africa. And, and I'll ask them, well, what evidence do you have? And they have mm -hmm. none. They just assume that this has always, you know, been with us. These are the same people who will say they stole our language. They stole our religion. They took everything from us. But whooping ass is the one thing that survived the Middle Passage experience. <laughs> And so if we had all come from the same country, spoke the same languages, uh, practiced the same religions, had the same conceptions of child rearing and childhood, and brought over a universal blueprint for how to discipline children, and that went uninterfered with by white people, then that argument could be made. But these were young people who, in many cases, had not finished childhood and had not parented themselves who learned this behavior in the context of slavery. And this whole Bible thing about spare the rod, spoil the child, that verse isn't even in the Bible. Um, that's like the only, like, even people who don't go to church. Money is the root of like, all evil is not there either. There's a bunch of stuff yes. that we say is not <laughs> Yeah, they, they like to quote, misquote scripture that's not even there. And people get mad at me when I say, you know, our ancestors were not practicing Christianity. These West Africans were Muslim. They were worshiping Orishas. They believed that children were gods, not that they were born in sin. They believed they were mystical. They were powerful. The Nigerians named their son Babatunde. Father has returned. Yetatunde. Mother has returned. They were respected. Uh, they, we believed that children led deeply spiritual lives. And now here we are, a culture of people, of colonized people, who think that beating children and shaming them is necessary to bring them to a respectable place in society. It sounds like what you're saying is that what was really stolen was our ability to raise our children in loving environments that integrated who they were and the wholeness of their being in a way that would further them, bring them further to adulthood, sharing the values that we would hope for our society. That's exactly right. And so we need to learn how to decolonize our parents. Mm. If you are shaming your child, if you are whooping them, that is a clear sign of a colonized mind. And we practice childism, this idea that children are inferior, 
that they occupy a completely different realm of human rights. Mm. The way we talk about our kids is so disrespectful to the ancestors who describe them as God, as superior to adults. Girl, you are preaching. (laughs) (laughs) And just for the audience, Karen, I did look up the Bible verse because I know someone's going to call up and say, yes, it is in the Bible. The Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him or her. And I'm willing to bet the rod is not the switch and the belt that you're talking about in your discussion. No. So the rod, again, you've got to learn something about Hebrew. Number one, you know, our people weren't reading the Bible. Our pre-colonial West African, you know, ancestors were not reading Hebrew. They were not reading the Bible. It took them a few hundred years before they started speaking English well enough. It was illegal for them to read and write. So any interpretation of scripture that they were getting was processed through, you know, this bastardized Western, you know, version or interpretation of Christianity. And to further slavery and the success, because if you can't spare the rod and spoil the child, if you have been infantilized as a black person on my plantation and I owe you, then own you, then whipping you is also within my purview. Exactly. And, and, and the rod, really, and I tell this to parent groups and when I have community conversations or trainings on this issue, the rod is a walking stick. Mm-hmm. You know, it's used for guidance. The shepherd used it. It was a crook on it, right? You would never beat a sheep because a sheep was valuable, and they were used as sacrifices to God. And so it had to be unblemished. So if you've beaten a sheep with a stick or whatever, first of all, a sheep's going to run from you, Mm. um, but you can't use it as a sacrifice. You use the rod to pull the sheep out of a rocky or hilly area, but the only time you wielded this thing was to ward off, you know, uh, wolves. You know, and the Bible uses rod in many ways. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. That doesn't sound like a woman, Mm. you know, And and adults are also conspicuously silent about the uses of the rod on adults in other verses in Proverbs. And so you have to also ask, would Jesus whoop a child? No. Mm. Jesus never said, suffer the little children, come unto me for an ass whooping, right? He, he, he coddled kids. He snuggled with them. He said, we need to be more like um, children to enter the kingdom of heaven. I know this. I'm not a Christian, but I'm saying you can't be a follower of Christ if you are beating and shaming your children Time and out. not treating Time them. Out. And if you are a Christian mm-hmm. and you don't know as much as Dr. Stacy Patton, who is not a Christian, <laughs> you need to get your full whole entire life. Okay, eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. We're gonna take some calls in a second, but now you know why. Because. When you know better, you do better. Yeah. We we hold on to so many ideals that we've been raised with. And somehow we believe when we let them go that we dishonor our family, our yeah. ancestors, or the things that we were brought up to believe. Somehow we feel like we're being disrespectful by examining the things that we've been taught. But actually that's what challenge is. I mean, you know, if you have faith in something and it's not challenged, you have not built or developed the muscle to be able to yeah. even practice that faith. That's right. So everything that you think and believe has to be held up under the light, has to be questioned, has to be challenged. And I just want to thank you, Dr. Patton, because I would argue with you behind behind your back <laughs> about how wrong you were <laughs> until you until you gave me evidence that I could not refute. And unfortunately, it takes that for many of us. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I couldn't I didn't have a comeback. So you're correct. Mm-hmm. You are right. And the book is called Spare the Kids. Why Whooping Black Children Won't Save 
what is it, Won't Save Black America? Why, why Whooping Children Won't Save Black America. Why Whooping Children Won't Save Black America. Stacey also, Dr. Patton also wrote that Mino yesterday, which is an autobiography of her life growing up, which mm-hmm. you can read for yourself and experience all that she's gone through in her life to be the dynamic uh, powerhouse that she is today. Um, and what do you teach at Morgan State? I teach digital uh, multimedia journalism. Mm, look at that. All right, mm-hmm. let's take a call before we go to break. Larise here. <laughs> um, let's go to Harry in South Kakalaki. Harry in South Carolina, welcome. Thank you, Karen. Um, I just wanted to comment. Now, I have two grown children, and when they were young, uh, I did spank them, but I made it my business not to use anything other than my hand, and I didn't touch anything but their behind. The other thing that I did was after I spanked them, I tempered, I tempered my discipline with love. And now today, and the other thing I did, and I want to bring that out, is that two things, actually. I pray for my children, and number two, I strive to live a life before my children, uh, you know, that would impact their lives as it even does now because they're buying stuff for us, and they gave me a 60th birthday party and all that stuff. So I think for me, and I can only speak for me, is that I had to find that balance to temper my discipline with love for my children. I still encourage my children, and I still encourage them to do great things. So that's my Harry, I have a question. This is Karen. Um, And Dr. Patton, I'm sure, has something to say. Mm -hmm. Um, That may be your narrative, but that's anecdotal, right? Did you did you hear what Dr. Patton said say about the origins of spanking and beating children? Yeah, but I'm just telling you what. Yeah, so you may uh, have had a good outcome. I'm asking you a question. You may have had a good outcome. Your children are fine, but is what she's saying fundamentally correct? Well, I'm going to answer it like this, and I'm being very sincere. To a certain degree, she is correct from the standpoint. You just don't beat your kids and, you know, all of that. You just don't beat them and abuse them and shame them. That's just wrong. That's what I did not do. Because, yes, they are special. Okay. All right. I, you're yeah. not go- – yeah, I, I got you. And and God bless you, Harry. Thank you for calling. I'm glad your children sh- showed up correctly in the world. Stacey Patton, Dr. Stacey Patton, what's yeah. wrong with the defense? <laughs> so it's using a sample size of one, all right, uh, to uh, exonerate oneself um, to justify uh, violence against children. What's also really disturbing about what this father says, and I have no no doubt that he loves his children mm. and that his children love him, but violence, hitting of any kind, and love should not be occupying the same sense. From a biological perspective, I just came back from San Antonio where I did trainings with the um, with pediatricians down there on this issue. From a biological perspective, it takes from age 0 to 24 for a child's brain to develop. So when you have somebody who loves you, who's supposed to protect you and nurture you, hitting your body and causing negative biofeedback, no matter how it's done, whether it's with a belt or open hand on the backside, and that parent then says, you know, I'm doing this because I love you, because I, pro- I want to protect you from racism, the police, or whatever. Mm. What then happens is the messages of pain 
and love converge together in the prefrontal cortex of a child's brain where the executive functioning, memory, logic, reasoning all happens. And then that gets, uh, it becomes a biological experience for the child. Mm. That's why so many people reach adulthood and they literally cannot see that what they what their parents did was an act of violence. And it also explains why so many people get into relationships Ooh. where with people who uh, put their hands on them, right? So if you are an adult, who was hit as a child, and then you grew up to hit your own child and to not find any problems with that, to call it love, that is a sign that you did not turn out fine. And also, there are parents who will say, well, there's a difference between, you know, spanking a child and beating them and abusing them. No, it's just the, the spelling is different. It all involves wow. pain and violence. And then parents will say, well, I just hit my child on the butt. Well, I had... Uh, uh, to uh, show parents at a community discussion um, a diagram of the child's body. I turned it to the back, and I pointed to the butt. And I said, how many parents can tell me what's underneath the flesh? And nobody could do that. They just saw it as a fatty area, that this is the perfect place to strike a child on the body. Mm. So then I took them deeper. I said, there's a whole network of nerves of blood vessels connected to the spinal cord, to the brain, and also to the genitals. So when you hit your child on the butt, you ignite blood, uh, a blood surge in that area of the body, but some of that blood also goes to your child's genitals. Uh, the only other time that kind of genital blood surge happens is during sexual arousal. So you have some kids who grow up to be adults during sex that they have to experience some sort of pain mixed with their pleasure because their parents primed them for this in the first place. Let's so think about that. that. We're going to think about it. And wow. you're you going to stick around. Can you stick around, Dr. Patton? Because oh, yes, all the course. lines are mm -hmm. completely lit, and uh, <laughs> rightfully so. And I get the defense. People need to defend the actions because if you have already beaten your children and it turned out fine, you're going to make a defense for that, and mm -hmm. that's fine. But I'm asking you to divorce yourself from defending yourself, and let's talk about these things intellectually it's a nuanced conversation let's talk about the facts that she just presented don't i don't want to hear testimonials about how well your children turned out great yeah but that's an outlier that may be an anomaly not the norm and while you think they may have turned out great maybe they weren't as complete as they could have been had you not done that now that doesn't mean you indict yourself doesn't mean you beat yourself up further because when you know better, you do better. But we have to be able to have these conversations so the future generation will not be hemmed up with these bondages that we've placed on ourselves. Let me thank uh, Dr. Pat. She's going to stick around. Larie Favor's got a billion and one questions as well. <laughs> Speaking of wellness, yeah. our children mm -hmm. are the future. Mm -hmm. Teach them well and let them lead the way. That's right. We're talking about that with Dr. Stacey Pat and Larie. Daniel Favors is in the house of Afro State of Mind. She said Stacey Patton gave her her entire life today. Yeah, and it, it's funny because I, I'm now drawing from what she was saying. I'm seeing blackness more as a form of anti, of uh, spanking as a form of anti-blackness and of repeating those types of measures that were used against us. And when she said, when the caller said, you know, and this is something that we hear a lot, well, I got spanked and I turned out okay or I spanked my kids and they turned out great. For me, the issue isn't that they turned out great in spite of the spanking. The issue is how much greater could they have been had if we as parents were tapping into our higher selves and able to correct our children from that higher, more elevated understanding of humanity and everything that Dr. Patton just said, especially if correction is supposed to teach the child how to be a better version of themselves. I, I'm, you know, me and my husband made a decision to not spank our children. Um, 
percent of the time we are <laughs> with it. Uh, but, you know, it does require us to tap into a different vibration when it comes to the discipline that we're going to use. We have to be more creative. It takes more time. But the time that it's taking, I believe, is helping them to build up to a better decision-making process. Because the spanking is instantaneous. My anger is instantaneous. And it's over. Did you learn a lesson or did you learn to fear the belt? And that, to me, is the difference. My son has often said, I wish you would just spank me. This would be over had you just spanked me. Why don't you guys? So, you know, it, it definitely requires a different level of discipline, both for the parent and for mm-hmm. the, the, the relationship for that with that child. Dr. Patton. I love everything that you just said here. <laughs> and what you're really getting at is that it is the internalized racism. When mm-hmm. I hear black people say, I was whooped as a child. I turned out fine. I'm not in jail. I got a college degree. I have a job. Like all these little basic things, yeah. right? Um, and then I look at them and I said, so you agree with Massa? And they look at me mm. like, what are you talking about? Well, I said, you agree with the longstanding racist logic that in order to make black people good people, healthy people, loving people, law-abiding, civilized, that you must process their bodies through violence. Mm. And so that's what I hear is this internalized racism that I needed uh, uh, this violence to, you know, be a respectable person. And it's so sad um, to hear. And also, and I love what you were saying about um, taking the time with your kids and being creative because we have 50, we have over 50 years worth of science that shows that, Spanked kids have a lower IQ than Mm. those who are not spanked because what happens is all based on brain scans. So when you hit a child, it it triggers the fight or flight response system. So you have something called cortisol, right? So when you're afraid, evolution has wired you to either uh, fight back, to freeze, or to flee. And so your muscles in your body tighten up to get ready to protect yourself or to get out of danger. And so when parents are doing that, you know, uh, the child is seeing the parent as a threat, a threat to their lives, a threat to their existence, right? So all of these neurochemical responses are going off in your child's body and in their brain. And so what's happening is it reduces the gray matter in the executive functioning area of the brain. It's not teaching them to be logical. You can't take in information when you are afraid and you're trying to save your life. Right. That whole area shuts down. You keep doing that over time. It impacts IQ. It sows the seeds for, you know, depression, emotional regulation issues. That's why we have so many kids who come to school and they're angry and they're acting mm-hmm. out and they're disruptive. They have low cognition. They can't learn. They're, it's, it's showing up in their, um, you know, you know, their uh, achievement and, and so on and so forth. Um, so teaching the child why. Uh, helping them develop language skills is the better way to do it rather than, you know, don't do not do this because you're afraid of getting caught. Mm. 8668, why am I giving out the number? There are no lines left open. One more thing. Laurie was saying that she has to be more creative, she and her husband, uh, in disciplining their children. Can you give us some actionable um, ways in which we can discipline our children without spanking, Dr. Patton? So, okay, so for example, um, I can just give examples that I have given with parents. Um, so um, I had a, recently a mother of, you know, a three-year-old 
who was um, throwing temper tantrums, just the falling out. He would do this at home. He'd do it in the grocery store, you know, and so forth. And so I said, okay. So the next time you're, I asked her, I said, do you have a long mirror in your house? And she said, yes. I said, so the next time your son throws a temper tantrum, I want you to pick him up and stand in front of the mirror with him and watch what happens. Mm. And so she called me and she was laughing. She was like, oh, my God, it worked. I said, so what did you observe? Uh, she says, as I held him crying and screaming and making, you know, morphing his face all angrily, he couldn't look at himself. He did not want wow. to see his face look like that. So he kept turning away from the mirror, but she held him there until he calmed down. And he stopped crying. He stopped yelling. And she was there to soothe him. You know, she sang to him. She hugged him. She kissed him. They had a conversation about what caused him to be upset. They also have an emotions chart, which is at eye level in the house. Mm. So whenever he's upset, she says, okay, point to the face, which best demonstrates how you feel. Now, why do you feel this? It's about getting to the why behind the behavior. Uh, The hot the hot stove is one, right? So parents will say, well, that's one way, that's one instance where you have to hit the child to keep them from getting burnt. And I said, no, what you do is you turn on the stove, you open it, get on the kitchen floor, and this is usually with young children, and you play on the floor with your child and you crawl closer to that stove. And as you feel the heat, you react to it. You put, put your hand toward the heat and snatch it away and say, no, that's hot. The point is for you to get your child to fear the heat, the danger from the stove, and not you. So there are all of these, like, you know, developmentally appropriate ways that you can teach your child and model for your child what you want them to do. The problem is a lot of people don't understand child development and that children's Mm. brains are mush. You'll hear parents say, my child doesn't listen to me. It's a two-year-old. He can't listen to you. That part of his brain is not formed yet. I have 19-year-old students, and sometimes they'll do stuff, and I'll be like, blah, 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 blah. But then I ask, how old are you? And I'll say, oh, I'm 19. And then I'm like, okay, where is this young person on their developmental, you know, uh, spectrum? And then I have to correct, you know, my approach and do something different. Mm. So it all goes back to people not being lazy, basically. And having, <laughs> exactly. to, having yeah. to work a little bit at this yeah. parenting thing. Yeah. Eight, six, uh, mm-hmm. Let me go to the phones. Let me get some of these minds out of the way. Lee, Lee in Atlanta, you're on with Dr. Stacey Patton. Afro State of Mind is in the house as well. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Wow. <clears throat> this is evoking so much emotion. First of all, greetings. Um, Karen, when you hurt, I hurt, you know, um, I feel you. But this is evoking a lot of emotions because I'm old. I'm probably older than all of you there. And so I grew up at a time where that corporal punishment was the day, was the way things were. And the way I think psychologically and emotionally as an adult, that I kind of dealt with it and try to understand it is that I said to myself, well, you know, we have to have immediate consequences for our actions because without, without the lessons of consequences, many of the children, many of my friends were mischievous. Some are most, some are tougher, some were tougher than others. I mean, my, my parents really shouldn't, didn't have to beat me naked. They, They didn't have to, hit me with a belt or a staging card like they did. I mean, I was not that tough, but that's what they did, and they did it a lot, you know, and I struggled through elementary school and and high school, everything you're saying. And I know that slavery and the 
the, the fact that our culture was everything was stripped from us as a people without giving us any understanding of how to teach immediate consequences from your action. I mean, Karen, sometimes my sister took over my father's behavior, and he was a disciplinarian. And Karen, she also had a mouth. Sometimes I wish she had a slap the hell out of me because even her mouth was abusive. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It was tearing me to parts. And as an adult, I still struggle with my emotion. I'll be honest with you. And then I got kids, children, two boys. And Lord have mercy, a couple of times I did the exact same thing. And let me tell you something, the horror you see in your child's eye when you're hitting him with a belt naked will never leave you for the rest Mm. of your life. Mm. Okay? Now my children have grown, and I know I passed on some of that, and I know the colonized did some of that. And I was going to speak to the point that she made about the fight or flight as an instinct. We are... Somehow we do have a fight or flight instinct. We do believe we can fight and hit grown-ups. We believe we can. We have the right to put our hands on grown-ups. But somehow, where does that, how does that work? You know, how do we deal with teaching consequences? Karen said she was a tough kid. She would do things to get aroused out of her mother. You know what I'm saying? So how do we get to that space where we can begin to teach immediate because these kids on social media get no consequences now they get away with destroying the spirit that's true but that's what they've been trained right i mean that's it's a perpetuating uh equation we've we've been trained to bully we've been trained to devalue we've been trained to dehumanize one another we've been trained to speak to each other crazy we've been trained to hate one another to hate ourselves so how do we undo that 400, 300 years of conditioning. And there's a very low level of emotional intelligence when you are raised in that type of a culture, right? I'm imagining the child who has an emotions chart where he or she can pick out what they're feeling is going to have a heightened sense of emotional awareness and intelligence mm-hmm. than will the child who simply cowers in fear. I'm mad. Right. right. And as far as consequences, some yeah, sometimes consequences need to be immediate. So with the stove example, I, I like that. I, I wouldn't have known how to give that example, so I really like how she said that. I, we have a five-and-a-half-year-old and she has this thing where she's into, you know, bothering her brother in a particular way. So, you know, I, she has a list of sight words that she has to memorize for school. So I made her write over the weekend. She had to write 10 sentences using her sight words about what the proper behavior that we expected out of her was. Now, she's five and a half years old, but she's learning how to write in school. And she hated it. It was long. We had to deal with it for like the whole of Saturday after dance class. But <laughs> she now knows I can't do that to Bubba. Like, I cannot engage. Mm-hmm. So it took longer. It didn't have the immediate reaction of her stopping it after a whooping but she's not one her her writing is better right so her mastery so it's, it's increasing her cognitive skills and her development in, in the school space but it's also forcing her to think about what it is that she's doing so the next time she tried to do it she stopped and said i don't want mommy to give me any more paragraphs i'm like it's not a paragraph it's a sentence but that she now calls them <laughs> paragraphs um so it, the immediacy of consequences may or may not be as important as the depth of the experience and, and the learning that the child gets from that. Dr. Patton, what do you say about that? Well, I, I totally agree with your approach. You know, some years ago there was a study that came out. I can't recall who did it, but it was called the one million word gap. And they yeah. looked at low income yeah. kids versus more well-off kids. 
And basically, uh, the low-income kids were hearing fewer words, and most of the words were negative. Stop, don't do that, sit down, be quiet, because I said so, right? Before they even enter the educational space. And those are, and a lot of people start hitting their children by the age of two, as young as two, or 18 months, actually. That's the study that I saw. It's 18 months old. So before they have language acquisition skills and mm. so forth, right? So we're sowing the foundation for low emotional intelligence, uh, conflict resolution, language acquisition skills before they even enter kindergarten. So by the time they get in there, their peers on the other end of the spectrum have heard way more words more positive uh, language and reinforcement. And so they're thriving at higher rates than the kids who are always being beaten. I also want to address something else, um, you know, that the gentleman um, said. You know, we uh, slander young people all the time. You know, you hear these kids today are so bad. Going back to the Greeks, you can find the same quotes. Every generation complains about how these kids today are. I mean, I hear people who grew up in the 80s and 90s saying these millennials today. And I'm like, but your generation was on crack, right? And Ouch! <laughs> Wait a minute now. <laughs> right? And so when you look at the data, again, I always I love data. Millennials have lower rates of um, crime in school, violent crime in school, violent crime in general. The data is much lower than it was in the 80s and the wow. 90s. That lower rates of smoking and drug abuse, they're more spiritual, right? Um, so it, it doesn't add up. I had a mother say to me, you know, people are trying to, these parents are too busy trying to be their child's friend. Like, what's wrong with that, right? Wow. Um, and she says, well, you know, um, the, these kids today are killing the parents. I said, okay, let's look at the data. So I pulled the FBI data. The kind of homicide that she's talking about is called parasite. It's the most rare form of homicide. Less than 1% of all homicides annually are of uh, kids killing parents. And the biggest perpetrators are actually adult white men who kill their parents. So black mama and daddy, you, you beating your child because grown white men are killing the parents. You know, and so we're not grounding these discussions in facts, in data, right? And we just perpetuate this ugly, false narrative about black children's behavior and their humanity, which are really recycled white supremacy talking points. Mm. Let's go to the phones. Andre, Andre in North Carolina, you're on with Dr. Stacey Patton. Laurie Favors is here. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, ladies. Hey, good afternoon. So a couple of things I wanted to bring up. So parents who don't realize they're whooping their kids, like myself, I got beat a lot. So as an adult, I started to say I was a bad kid. You know, I deserve that. Wow. On the same um, token, I had to babysit a lot. So like you going to whoop me, but now you want me to watch them, mm. you know, so I was not a good big brother. I took a lot of that stuff out on them. Mm -hmm. um, Guilty. Right. I mean, I was bad. I, I was really bad. And they would, you know, say, you know, Andre was mean. Andre's mean. And my parents didn't listen to the music. Andre, stop being mean. Okay, okay. I won't be mean. Yeah. Right. You, but you're leaving the them here with me. I, I've been guilty of that. Right. Sorry. Exactly. Sorry, so, brother. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> so, so uh, my second part is that we say, you know, don't whoop your children. So there are people out there who won't whip their children, but they will verbally abuse them. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 what do we say I'm about that? It, right. What do we say about yeah. that? Andre, um, thank you for sharing. Appreciate yeah. you. Thank you for that. Dr. Patton, what do we say about verbal abuse? Because many of us have seen people in the streets with their kids cussing them out, mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. babies, one mm-hmm. and two, you're cussing them, calling them all, ma- yeah. all manner of horrible things in public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, the verbal abuse is just as damaging. They usually go hand in hand. If you have a parent who's out there in the middle of the street cussing their kids out, you know at home that things are probably right. even more worse. And, and the verbal abuse usually is something like, I'm going to F you up, you know, stop that, you know, or it's usually, you know, the threat of a beating. And so remember when I was talking about fight or flight um, and, you know, a, a, a child's body being triggered by fear, mm-hmm. the verbal abuse uh, subjects the child to the same kinds of biological triggers, right, the same neurochemical responses. So even if you don't hit your child and you're cussing them out, you're yelling at them, you're threatening them verbally, your child is still going to experience the same kind of negative biofeedback. But also it eats at their self-esteem, yes. um, you know, their, their self-concept. It doesn't teach them how to, uh, you know, show empathy for others. It doesn't teach them good conflict resolution skills. I mean, look at all reality TV. So much of it is mm. people yelling at each other, mm-hmm. threatening them, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and so they're also absorbing that from television and violent video games and such. Even our social media fights. You know, I have a lot of people who hang out on my, my social media pages. And sometimes I will just post something that is logical, that is factual, and people just come in there and they're just like, shut the F up, you mammy, you this and that. I get cursed out and called Mm. names every single day of my life. Mm. And it's because when these people were kids, I imagine that the adults in their lives talk to them this way. And so they didn't grow up to develop language acquisition skills and emotional regulation skills to be able to have a logical and respectful conversation with people. And when people, because, you know, hit dog yelps, I guess that's a, I should, probably shouldn't use that analogy anymore. <laughs> okay. Note to self. You know, but when you strike a chord in somebody that goes at the core of who they are, mm. they'll either have mm-hmm. to make a change or blame somebody for, for yeah. you know, having the audacity to say the thing. So, they mm-hmm. usually get angry when they don't have the words to express why you're you're making them feel some way mm. about themselves as opposed to them asking themselves, why do I feel this way? Is there something in me that I need to change? Nobody wants to change, so they'd rather cuss you out and call you out of your name. It's easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's... But it's, a, it's also from a biological perspective, it's a sign of brain damage. Ooh. When people are hypervigilant, when they're easily triggered, right, and they, they don't have you know, emotional literacy, it is a sign of the damage, that gray matter reduction that I was telling you about in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, that area for executive function, emotional regulation, logic and reasoning skills, memory, all of that has been damaged. So these same people who are like, I was whooping, I turned out fine, F you, right? Mm. I'm like, (laughs) oh, nope, brain is all jacked up. Prefrontal cortex is jacked. Right. Amygdala, Jack, every all those parts of the brain that, you know, are responsible for all of this are messed up. 
And when you intersect that with what Dr. Joy DeGruy talks about with post-traumatic slave syndrome, Mm -hmm. where the symptoms are the multi-generational trauma and inability to recover, and it exhibits itself in ever-present anger, um, Mm -hmm. over easily triggered, right, foreshortened sense Mm -hmm. of foreshortened future. If you overlay that on top of this already depraved or or, or, uh, low level of emotional intelligence, Nini, uh, a reality show star specializing in abusing her peers and us cheering that on because that makes mm-hmm. her the best character. That really is sign of brain damage. The, the, the injury yes. that we yep. are still dealing with. Yes. yes. Ooh, wow. yeah. And the lack of empathy. I love what mm. you just said. There the lack of empathy. comes out in the lack of empathy. Like when you see the picture of a, a, a black boy being shamed and see the, and you can't, connect with the sadness in his eye right Mm. um or the videos of you know people beating their kids and folks are are laughing at them and you know i I could never put my hands on a child i could never laugh at that and that's a sign that i turned out fine and that the empathy in me was not destroyed thank god people who like you know who could watch world star hip-hop all day and Mm -hmm. find pleasure in watching world star hip-hop all day and share these links Mm -hmm. with glee because it's hilarious to see somebody with a tire around them set on fire that was the last world star hip-hop thing that i saw and that was like five years ago and i said i can never go on this site again because any site that can put the the image of a man being burned alive because he was gay and I think it was Uganda and having a tire put up around him and set on fire. And that it had like a million plus views and people were sharing it. Cause that's how I ended up with it. I can't, I can't participate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's take a couple mm-hmm. more calls and let's, let me ask you a question. We're going to talk about R Kelly and um, his interview with Gail King has gone viral and his reaction to some of her questions seemed to be a person who exhibits a lot of the things that you're talking about, we know that he was sexually abused as a child. Mm-hmm. There must mm-hmm. have been some other kind of, he's brain damaged. As I'm watching his reaction to simple questions, it, it appears to, to exhibit everything that you're just talking about, Dr. Patton. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I talk with parent groups and I do these trainings across the country, I talk a great deal about the intersections between hitting a child's body and their sexual development and sexual identity. Uh, when I was writing Spare the Kids, I uh, this is a chapter that did not make it because I was like 50,000 words over the limit, and my editor was like, nah, you got to cut something. Um, I interviewed all of these. They were black women um, who had experienced corporal punishment and sexual abuse simultaneously as children. And one of the questions I asked each of the women that I interviewed was, why didn't you disclose that you were being molested by your stepbrother or your brother or uncle or stepdad or dad or mother or aunt. Um, And so, you know, some of them said to me, well, at least it wasn't a whooping. So they had to choose whether being sexually abused versus being beaten, you know, which one was better. And so they um, remained silent about being molested. There were girls who um, were caught touching themselves by their parents. It was usually always the mother, and the mother whooped the girl. And oh. so as a child, you're, you're associating touching yourself in the mm. private area as bad. So if somebody else does it and you go tell your mom, you're not going to say anything to her because you don't want to get whooped. And there are situations where, you know, these girls disclosed to their mothers and the mothers did not believe them or they mm. accused them of being fast. 
if you didn't walk around here acting this way or dressing this way, then my boyfriend, you know, Ooh. you know, you're, he's a, who's a good man, wouldn't mm. be touching you. So it was all of those kinds of narratives. And what really um, bothered me during the whole R. Kelly discussion is so many black women who defended him. And what that said to me is that R. Kelly, for a lot of these women, are he's familiar. He feels like home. And since they were blamed and they were socialized to internalize their own sexual abuse, they didn't do any healing. And so they've grown up and they can't empathize with their own daughters or even other young black girls and women who are sexually abused. But we also it also opens up a discussion, whether it's Little Wayne, whether it's R. Kelly, or other black male uh, celebrities who talked about being sexually abused. We shut down from that conversation, particularly if the abuser is a woman. Um, and so people don't want to have that discussion because we have these racialized ideas about black males being impervious to pain, uh, being impervious to sexual abuse. Right. Or we don't we so idolize black mothers who beat the hell out of us mm. that we can't imagine them as predators, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse. So I mm. think this not to exonerate R. Kelly, but I think it is time that we start talking about the intersections of it. When you beat a child, you tell them, look, my body is not my own. Wow. You can do what you want to it. So then it primes them to be sexually victimized by others or to become sexual abusers and predators in the future. Oh, my God. Um, Dr. Stacey Patton and all of the men when we were talking about R. Kelly, when the surviving R. Kelly video came out, that would call to defend him. And I couldn't wrap my head around why. But I knew that there was some guilt mm -hmm. on their part. But then there were women that would call. And what you just said about that man being familiar to us should shake us at our core yeah. in our community. Yeah. Why mm -hmm. is R. Kelly familiar to us? And it's not the music. Mm. Let's go to the phones. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stacy Patton's in the house. We have um, <laughs> Larie Favors. Lord have mercy. Um, going to go to Texas. Derek, thank you for holding. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hey, how, how's everyone? Let, let Turn your radio it. down, please. Oh, yes. Um, can you hear me now? Yep, go ahead. Okay. Yes, I, I, I agree with Dr. Patton. However, it speaks to a broader issue to me because we have become nothing but black people walking around with white faces. And I, I, I absolutely agree wholeheartedly with what she's saying because, the, however, you know, the imbalances of society is either, it's, it's kind of like, Tip, don't tip the scale properly to me. It, it, it's rather either you do it or you don't. It's damn if I do it, damn if I don't. Actually, it's not. And we need to stop saying those, you well, know, well, those things say, that sound good. No, it that. actually is not damned if you do and damned if you don't. It actually is not. Well, let me tell you why I'm saying that. Because because my background is dealing with special needs children. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and um, you know, doctor, how do you address those children, the the ones that actually does have the psychological wow. mind to actually sit up and beat on their parents because we deal with children like that. I mean, they came out like that. And I don't understand uh, uh, the, the wiring that's going so, on with that. Please address child. that. Oh, All right, well, it's disturbing to me that you say that you're somebody who specializes in working with special needs children and you can't answer that question yourself. Um, I'm not trained in that area of dealing with autistic kids, 
or kids with other special needs. But clearly, you know, your admission and question tells me that you're not, folks like you may not be getting adequate training mm-hmm. on understanding brain development, understanding language and other behavioral issues and how to respond. Um, so that's, that's how I, I respond to that question. I had to just, I had to edit myself just now. Yeah, I'm going to let that I was going to talk about, never mind. Oh, my God. Uh, maybe, Derek, you are in the wrong field. I think you should get out of that field now because I think you're only going to add more damage to those kids who are already struggling. The fact that you could say a kid comes out the womb like that, I don't know any baby that comes out hitting their parents. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, you probably aren't really suited to do this kind of work. I agree with um, Stacey Patton about that. Ken in Mississippi. Cheese and crackers. Uh, Karen, I want to say I enjoy your show. Uh, but uh, the the spanking piece, mm-hmm. my mom used to, you know, pretty much play any little thing I would do, she would pretty would put me. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, now as an adult, I have four daughters. And so I started off with the older one. I mean, just, you know, for pretty much picking up the same habit that she had. And so after becoming a teacher and working in a predominantly white school district, where, you know, that my daughter went to school, I realized that the white teachers pretty much talked down or talked about the black students and didn't have much tolerance for them, just like my daughter. And so now I stopped spanking, stopped whooping, and I pretty much talked to them. You know, I, I, I say I try to be their friend so that they can learn to talk to me. But then at the same time, they respect me enough because I said, you know, that I let them know who they are, where they came from. And I try to teach them a little bit of black history so that they'll understand that they're not what's on with these reality shows. And so I distance myself from spanking. And then you you. You all talked about the, the, the sexual abuse thing and how it, you know, a lot of women see it as home. And then there's, you know, I, I my wife had been, you know, sexually abused by her, her dad. And I was always trying to figure out why does she always compare me to him in a good light when he did this to her? And, you know, the whole, this, this whole conversation that you all are having is you know getting close to home and it's allowing me to view things and to look at things in a different light than how I looked at them before Mm -hmm. yeah I think one of the things I'm taking from this conversation because I'm actually remembering a moment when I violated my own rule against spanking and my child came home with a, a incident at school and he was the class clown and I literally felt myself channeling My grandfather, may he rest in peace, who, wonderful grandfather, not such a good dad, very abusive as a dad, and very stereotypically Caribbean male, right? There were just some things that you just, you know, and I felt myself almost overcome with him in that moment, and I had to stop. 
because I realized I was crossing a line. And what, Dr. Patton, what you're raising for me is a question of are we parenting in truth and as a reflection of our highest self, or are we being guided by a white supremacist view of the capacity of black children? And it's when we feel that black, mm-hmm. yes, and when we feel that black mm-hmm. children can only respond with a whooping, when I got to mm-hmm. talk to you crazy in the street, I am literally mm-hmm. channeling a white supremacist frame and approach to your capacity, to who you are, and mm-hmm. to what I need to do in order to motivate you to get to where you need to be. I'm convicted mm-hmm. in my spirit. And I have already decided, I mean, we had already committed to not spanking, but I'm even going back and evaluating how I even, the discipline efforts that we do take and, and really investigating and interrogating whether or not I'm approaching it from a holistic perspective or am I in that moment, am I engaged in anti-blackness? Yeah, and, and you are so brilliant. I love this, right? Oh, thank you, sis. So what you're talking about, you. about is the way that, you know, black parents often parent from a place of fear, yeah. a place of ego, a place of thinking of children as property, yeah. as inferior. They're guided by childism. And, you know, children are, violence against children is the primary way in which we reproduce whiteness and white supremacy Ooh. and various other forms of oppression. White supremacy requires the destruction of children and for black parents to participate in that dehumanization process. It also requires that white children be destroyed intellectually, emotionally, physically as well so that they grow up to underwrite the logics and horrors of oppression, right, Mm. Uh, for subsequent uh, generations. Um, So we have to shift how we see our children, even what we consider misbehaviors, right? So certain concepts of sin that did not exist in West African societies Uh became that here. So I have parents who say, well, I popped my child for rolling their eyes and sucking their teeth. And so I'll say, Mama, Daddy, have you ever watched a West African film? First of all, they're like six hours long. Everybody's sucking their teeth and rolling their eyes the whole time. So this was a natural communication you know, uh, practice within those cultures, but it got transitioned to disrespect. Ouch! Yes. Wow. The plantation. Context, so you're saying that's germane to who we are in our, our ancestral DNA. DNA. Yes. Or like, or like, take twerking for example. You know, parents beating their sons and daughters for for twerking, and I have to say, Mama, I have to show them clips. You know, black and indigenous people around the world have been twerking for a millennia. They did this as part of fertility rights to celebrate the body. It was not considered sexually deviant. Until you activate the booty with the spanking and make the connection. Yep. Mm. Or or white supremacist society that has hypersexualized ideas and about wow. black bodies, including children. A lot of people don't realize that the majority of enslaved people on plantations were children. By 1860, yeah. something around 40% yeah. of enslaved people were under age 10. It was a pedophilic enterprise. Jesus. It was about coercion and sexual abuse, which continued in the a- aftermath of emancipation. So black people had to figure out ways to protect them, their children from this sexualized, sadistic, perverse, white gays and they didn't always have the you know the language or the emotional intelligence because they were still reeling from the trauma of slavery it's not like they had you know psychiatrists you know hanging right. out the mm-hmm. edges of the plantations and say let's deal with how this <laughs> messed y'all up for you know centuries and the other thing i do think we need to have though is empathy for black parents because when you look at the long durée of american history 
2019 marks the 400th year we've That's been right. in this country in That's significant right. numbers. Of that time, we've only been parenting, legally parenting our children for 150 years. Now, if you factor in Jim Crow, it's another 50 years. Right, because right? Emmett Till's uh, uncle could not save him. He could not yes. parent him when he was snatched out of that bed. He could not protect him. Yep, and so, and in, and in the last, you know, 50 years, we've been met with mass incarceration, echo hazards, food deserts, divestment in public education, police brutality, all of these serial traumas that spill over into our families, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of black people, the only real power that they can realize is in their homes and the power to take out their rage and frustration onto their children. So that daddy, instead of, you know, showing up at PTA meetings, uh, holding state legislators accountable, uh, fighting against, you know, uh, race to the top, no child left behind, uh, you know, uh, the profitable charter schools that don't really care about our kids, who subject our kids to psychological violence. The fact that 83% of t school teachers in K-12 are, are, are white and mostly female, yep. not addressing that cultural gap between black kids and their teachers who fear them, who have all kinds of biases against our kids, who, you know, disable our kids intellectually, mm. right? Instead of fighting that, you're going to shave your kid's head and make him look ridiculous or beat him. Hmm. We're just scratching the surface. Uh, Dr. Stacy Patton will be back. Um, I need you to go get her book, though, Spare the Kids, Why Whooping Children Won't Save Black America. Go get that. Go get it. Get it. Get it. Go get it. We're going to tweet buy, out the link. A bunch of friends. Hand it out Christmas. Kwanzaa. Let me thank you. We have a lot of healing to do, but that's yeah. part of what we do yeah. here. So we appreciate you being, uh, you know, part of our family.